Welcome to Bumper Sticker Faith. My name is Sam Key, and I think this is episode 98. I keep keep trying to remember to look, but I keep forgetting. Uh, But uh, we're getting close to 100, and uh, today's uh, we have a special guest um, as we get closer to 100, and his name is Dr. Ken Calvert. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. Great to be with you. And you're at uh, Hillsdale College, right? That's correct. That's correct. Here in, in beautiful Hillsdale, Michigan. That's yep. right. I had, I'm in Chicago now, and I had, I'm from Ohio originally, and I had Ohio State paraphernalia behind me, but I I took that down because I want to be. I <laughs> really know, appreciate in, that. Yeah, in the, this, the Wolverine you know, territory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's toxic. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go there, but um. <laughs> But I've heard a lot about Hillsdale. I've had uh, neighbors and friends go to Hillsdale. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't intend on talking about this, but what's, so, okay. what's so special about Hillsdale? Because I know it's a special place, and um, right. I, I encourage people to check it out. Well, the college is completely independent of all government influence because we're funded uh, completely for private funds. Mm-hmm. And so that really allows us to be whatever – we want to be. And we've become, um, particularly in the last 20 or 30 years, uh, a truly intellectually, uh, academically uh, powerful little college. And I sound like I'm bragging, but honestly, we we get uh, some really, really bright young people mm-hmm. here in our classes. Um, we have faculty from, you know, all the, all the best institutions, I guess, uh, I don't know if I'd call them best anymore, but, uh, you know, we get really, really solid yeah. faculty. So, um, and I, as a, as a Christian, um, I could say whatever I want in the classroom mm-hmm. and we get, we get mostly Christians of, of all sorts, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant mm-hmm. of every brand. Uh, we have Jewish students. We also have students who are none of the above, either agnostic or, um, even our, our libertarian atheists, you know, who all kind of lean conservative or libertarian, that kind of direction. Um, but it's it's a great place. It's not monolithic. Uh, we get mm-hmm. a lot of great conversation. I get challenged in my classrooms all the time, which is exactly what should happen. Yeah. And nobody gets in trouble for challenging each other. Um, uh, you know, one of the most left-wing guys I know in the world is one of my, you know, friends and colleagues here mm-hmm. and his, his office is right next door. And he can say whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And as long as he has something to back it up, mm-hmm. you know, we're not about feelings around here. You don't say, I feel that this is right. You know, you've got to have some facts. You've got to have some good evidence to back up what you're saying. And so it really is, is I would say, old school kind of collegiate activity mm-hmm. here. Yeah, it's, Is it it's like wonderful. based on uh, like the classical uh, yeah, model? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Rooted in, in uh, Greco-Roman uh, classical philosophy uh, for all of its good and bad, uh, mm-hmm. and then also uh, you know uh, scripture, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Judeo-Christian background. Uh, all of this is a part of what Hillsdale does, and uh, right now uh, we're really, really doing some really good work, I think, and not only here but around the country. Uh, we've got uh, you're starting millions- in the East Coast. I, I saw. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, we have a. I'm going to be speaking out at our our Blair Center in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. We've got that. We've got a Kirby Center in Washington D.C. Um, 
We're also looking at some things out in California. So uh, uh, between our publications, our online classes, all that kind of thing, uh, Hillsdale's really doing some fun stuff. Wow. And speaking of online classes, I wanted to highlight, okay, so for my (laughs) listeners, uh, Dr. Ken Calvert is a history professor, the professor of history and the director of the Oxford program, and you specialize in ancient history, ancient Christianity. That's correct. correct. That's correct. Yes. And there's a a free, note those words, (laughs) four letter F word, free, (laughs) is a great word, Uh, Uh a free course on ancient Christianity that people can sign up for and take. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to highlight that, but I want to talk about ancient Christianity today. I appreciate that. And, um, uh, it, it's it's a real honor to be able to do that class and a couple other classes I've done on can, on on the on the online program. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just there are some great scholars and some really good programs there beyond mine uh, that you'd also like to pick up on. Yeah. So to start, um, talk about ancient history in its relationship mm-hmm. to Christianity and what. Yep. What a knowledge, like what, what can people, how can people benefit from knowing ancient history and like the setting of, right. in particular, the Roman empire when the church, the Christian church mm-hmm. was born. So mm-hmm. how does understanding ancient Christianity enrich your experience of right. faith of the Bible yeah. and of your church experience? So put a yeah. pitch in for that. It's, it's very important. Uh, scripture takes place in the ancient world. Uh, you know, the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, Greeks, and Romans. And to really understand Scripture well, uh, one has to study ancient history. That's all mm-hmm. there is to it. And unfortunately, not enough pastors, not enough uh, people, lay people in the pews really understand that. So they'll sit down to Scripture, and they'll read something, and they won't understand what it really means because they don't understand the ancient world. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's probably my number one concern for Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and therefore, you know, it kind of dissolves down to, well, what do you think, Maybell? I don't know, Susie. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of study of scripture, which is, is not helpful. And, and honestly, why we have so many study Bibles now, people really need guides uh, to help them get into scripture and understand the faith. So when we look at the ancient world, we first have to understand that everybody was religious. Um, mm-hmm. There's really very little need, if any need, to convince people of the existence of the gods or of God. Uh, and so when it comes down to Judaism and Christianity within their worlds, it's not trying to convince people that God exists. It's trying to convince them of the true God mm. and who the God of revelation is. And for Christianity, of course, particularly uh, the incarnation, you know, the idea that God, the God of the heavens, uh, would become a human person, mm. that's just you know, absolutely outside of their understanding. Mm. You know, you might have Zeus who comes along and produces a couple of children uh, through raping people. I mean, just the mythology is not that great. Uh, <laughs> you know, but the the Christians have a message. The Jews have a message that the loving, just, merciful, awesome God of the universe uh, not only has come into the world to reveal Himself, but in the incarnation has become flesh. And to understand that in that ancient world where everybody believes in gods already, 
But this is a whole new message, a mm-hmm. whole new twist on it. Um, that's really at the core of it. That really yeah. stood out to me reading uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces, okay? Right, right. Because it put me in this world where everybody in whatever city or area it took place in, <laughs> uh, fictional or whatever, but but everybody just, the world was enchanted. That's a wor- word we like to use today. Right. But right. everybody believed in the gods even if they hated them or didn't like them, they still bowed to them and right. believed in them and knew that the gods uh, were in control. And it's that kind of a world that I'm like really enthusiastic and passionate to try to recapture for us today because yeah. materialism today, and I guess in the philosophical sense, has yeah. just uh, shallowed our world, flattened our yeah. world. Yeah. And yeah. where we, we don't, see that there's something deeper, richer, fuller to our experience, right. to the world. Right. You know, uh, one moment in scripture that always stands out to me, and it's in the synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the the transfiguration, mm. when Jesus goes up uh, Mount Tabor with Peter, James, and John, and Peter, James, and John see him for his totality. His, his face shines like the sun. And that's what Malachi says, that uh, the Messiah will be the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness. Uh, we also know Jesus to be the sun, S-O-N, of righteousness. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Old Testament says that he will be like the sun. And that's what Peter, James, and John see. And then they come back down the mountain. And what they see is Jesus as they would see him with their physical eyes, right? And so for us to understand that behind the veneer or the 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 the, the shadows, as as C.S. Lewis often talks mm-hmm. about, the Shadowland, uh, you know, the shadows, this idea of Shadowland, this behind that is the reality of um, of of who Christ is, and also of what our world is about. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on here spiritually that we pay very little attention to, and the ancients, you know. They understood that. They understood that there was more going on. You know, you read Plato and Aristotle, they even, uh, you know, begin to, you know, suggest that and understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, All of that was present in the ancient world. And when you talk about the Christians and the Roman government, uh, the Romans understood that the gods had made the empire great, had made it in such a way that it would control the entire Mediterranean world, and the Romans talked about it as the whole world. Uh, Caesar Augustus was indwelt by a genius, a divine genius. That's what made him great. Um, and so when the Christians or the, and the Jews before them would not worship the gods of the empire, that was a problem because they were undermining the very powers that made the empire great. Uh, they were being traitorous uh, mm. to, the, to Rome. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about that before, but it's not like when they refused to worship them, it, it wasn't just like today's cultural context where we would say, oh, you didn't vote for Trump or you didn't vote for Biden. It wasn't like a right. real optional thing, but to them, if their world truly was enchanted and they truly were gods, you know, mm-hmm. they yeah. thought they were, then not to do that was, I, I, I can't even think of an equivalent, like saying... Uh, yeah. Don't eat breakfast every day, or you know something right. that's right. so much in the warp or move of our system that it's unthinkable not to do. Right, right, right. And and you know for for the Jews and Christians to be unable 
to participate in festivities and festivals. Mm. Uh, in regular events, they were also seen as unsociable. Uh, and in fact, Tacitus, the Roman historian, calls them haters of humanity. Mm. Uh, and so that idea of being haters, you know, nothing new there uh, for Christians. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea that because we can't or won't participate in these pagan activities, um, that somehow we're haters of not only the society, but the government itself. Yeah. Mm. That uh, moment when um, in Matthew 17, the transfiguration, 17 or 18, that you mentioned, yeah. I imagine that um, um, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, when after he came down, they're, yeah. they probably thought to themselves, how is he not this bright and glorious all the time? Like all that, the time. That was the real question, right? Right. And the thing is that he was. You know, but yeah. they couldn't see it with the eyes of flesh. And you mm. also think there were two other human beings who saw that, Moses and Elijah, yeah. who were on the other side of that veil. That's right. And um, as I mentioned, uh, and if I could, if, it, if it's all right for me to bring this up, I'm yeah. a Catholic. And, uh, you know, for the Catholics, we believe that in the bread and the wine, it's more than just bread and wine. And the transfiguration is, you know, some biblical a biblical moment in which, you know, we come to understand what that means. It, mm -hmm. Just because it looks just like bread and wine, or it looks like a human body, whatever, with Jesus, um, there's more to it than that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not Catholic, but the, a way that I think is a helpful, I guess, bridge, at least for me, when it comes yeah. to uh, the Lord's table, is we, well, we all... Um, I know I know about like the doctrine union of Christ, for instance. Yeah, right. So right. like, um, I'm still a sinner, but I'm also uh, I'm a saint. Like I'm here on earth, but yet b being united with Christ, like Colossians three says, I'm already right. seated in heaven. I'm already glorified yeah, yeah, somehow. Yeah. So yeah. I I can look at the same thing, and it can be both at the same time. Right. right. Exactly. And and to exactly. me, that's like a helpful bridge in thinking about like. Um, communion, for instance, how it can be both body yeah. and, and blood at, yeah, or, yeah. or both at the same time. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, St. Paul was very clear in first Corinthians about being cautious about the meal. Um, but, you know, we are, we're, we're getting a little bit off, off yeah, our, yeah. Our track here. I guess, I guess what I want to really emphasize is that this was a world uh, for the early Christians yeah. that very much believed that there was more going on than just the physical. Yeah. And um, there's more behind it, and uh, and so the Christians were were persecuted uh, in to a great extent uh, because of these reasons, because they're unsociable, because they're not supporting the empire, particularly because they're not participating mm -hmm. in the religion of uh, the world, of that world. And one thing I want people often don't understand is that. Um, the, the political powers or the governmental powers, the states of the age, they're the ones who approved which gods could be worshipped. Hmm. Uh, you might remember uh, the, uh, the uh, philosopher Socrates. He was questioning the gods of Rome. Uh, not that he didn't, he, was, he wasn't really an atheist, but he was accused of being an atheist mm -hmm. because he didn't honor or support, uh, apparently, their gods. And so uh, the Christians would point back to Socrates quite often mm. and say, you know, here's one of your guys, uh, a guy named Heraclitus, they would also point to. Um, here's one of your guys who questioned whether your, your gods are true and real. And so uh, 
you 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 mentioned in one of your notes to me, um, maybe talking about Justin of Neapolis, also called Justin Martyr, who was an apologist in the first century. And what Justin uh, did was was question whether or not you know the gods of the pagan world were real, and then he pointed to Socrates and he said, you know, maybe Socrates was a kind of Christian before Christ, mm-hmm. uh, you know, questioning all of this, giving the Christians that kind of authority or a little bit of a of a bump. Mm-hmm. Um, and Justin also said, you know, in this world, whatever is true belongs to us Christians because we worship the true God. So he goes another step, you know, uh, into philosophy and philosophical mm-hmm. discussion of what is true and what can we know question that Socrates is asking. Uh, and therefore, you know, if it is true, then understand that we Christians worshiping the, the true God of the universe, hmm. uh, all of that belongs to us. Yeah. What did early uh, persecutions look like? And then mm-hmm. after that, like, how did those early persecutions um, shape the way that Christians worshiped and how they did life in church? Yeah, yeah, very, very good question. Well, first of all, um, most of the persecutions that we know of, that we have recorded, uh, were of bishops, were of the leading members of the Christian communities. And so most of the time, what Rome, what the, what the uh, Roman officials are doing is going after the leadership. And what appears to happen, what appears to be happening there is that they think that if they can cut off the head of this beast, that they can kill it. Right. And, and all of these leaders running around like a man named Polycarp, who was 86 mm-hmm. years old, um, mm-hmm. died around 155 A.D. And he says he's been serving Christ for 86 years. You he's know, never just a, done him wrong since. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A great witness to faith yeah. in Christ. Uh, another man, another bishop, Ignatius, also um, uh, uh, martyred. So, you know, uh, Clement, uh, one of the bishops of, of Rome, uh, also martyred. Uh all of these guys were, were bishops and were leaders, and it looks like the the uh, uh, the magistrates were going after the leadership. Uh, it's important that for most of the first two centuries, um, persecution was hit and miss, was local. It really depended upon what the local magistrates wanted to do and whether or not uh, they felt that Christianity was a great threat. Sometimes mm-hmm. they have more important things in their mind they mm-hmm. have to worry about than this group. And so um, that's important is that it's it's not everywhere all at once, at least until uh, about 250 uh, AD in the time of, of, of uh, the Decian persecution and Valyrian persecutions. Um, but what the Christians had to do was really remain quiet remain secret, uh, underground, as we mm-hmm. would call it, um, in part because of their neighbors, um, who were very, very suspicious of anybody who wasn't doing, you know, participating in the festivals and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part was uh, they did have persecution from the Jewish communities who saw Christianity as a threat. And the Jews, for for many ways, in many ways, were protected by the empire, beginning with the time of Julius Caesar, even though they they did see persecution, particularly at Alexandria and a couple other places, still the Jews had a very precarious kind of safety, mm-hmm. and they didn't want that upset. And so, you know, that's part of their life as well. And then you have the government, um, uh, the the larger uh, government of government of Rome, with all of its various layers of of rule. 
what they want is peace and quiet and concord. <laughs> you know, they don't want a lot. Of, they don't want a mess. And so if they see a group that's causing trouble, the sacrifices aren't being made at the temples. The temples are emptying out because there are people becoming Christians, um, and that's undermining the whole system. Then the government is going to pay attention to that. Mm. Um, so uh, the Christians, uh, you know, stay quiet. And of course, most of the early uh, uh, meetings were in houses. House churches very important. Um, also um, in in catacombs, although I think that sometimes is overplayed. Mm-hmm. But they would worship in catacombs as well because that was a place others were were less willing to to look to find them. Um, and so uh, you had very secret uh, meetings. Now, what we do have uh, a couple of great examples um, in a book called the Didache, and then in Justin of Neapolis, descriptions of early worship, you know, uh, post-New Testament. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the meal is always there. Uh, the Lord's Prayer um, appears. And in the end of the first century, the Lord's Prayer with the the, what has become the traditional ending, in, you know, at, after the Lord's Prayer, because in mm-hmm. Scripture it ends, you know, much more briefly than what we usually use. But it's um, it's 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 all there. Um, and the Didache and, for people is, I mm-hmm. think it's the earliest yeah. non non biblical um, text. It's from Greek, yeah. but but you can get a for, copy. For, yeah. it's short. Yeah, yep. Yeah, perhaps Clement of, of Rome might be a little bit earlier. Okay. Didache, Didache has a, is is probably a number of documents that were sewn together at the end of the first century. So parts of it, yeah, probably predated Clement. And Didache yeah. just means the teaching. The right? teachings, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, it's important in their worship that we understand that they're not looking to the pagan world for any part of their worship. Mm. They're not looking to the pagan world when they do begin to build churches, they're not looking to the pagan world to build temples, right? Now, they do in time take over a couple of temples and make them churches, but most of the churches are after the model of the basilica, and a basilica in the ancient Roman world was a governmental building in which, uh, you know, judgments Mm. were made, Mm -hmm. and so it's a seat of judgment. And so that's why uh, churches take on uh, the shape of the basilica, to remember that Christ is seated there. And he is our he is our judge. He is our savior yeah. and our judge as well. So this is all part of early worship. Um, as time goes by in the, in the third and fourth centuries, it's much more complete. You see a much more complete have a much more complete understanding of how they're worshiping and where. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about some more uh, inspiring stories. You mentioned. Polycarp, yeah. and Polycarp was being burned at the stake when he heard the voice that said, play the man. Yeah, that's right. right. Play the man, Polycarp. And he he uh, he found out that he was going to be arrested, and he headed off into the hinterlands. And um, the early church struggled with this idea of martyrdom, because do we, do we see it as a good thing? Because Jesus does say... You know, this is this is a mark of mm-hmm. your faith that uh, you're being you're being martyred. But on the other hand, they also know that he himself did not turn himself in. They had to come find him, right? Mm-hmm. And wow. so, so there is this idea that uh, uh, and and Christians have always been pro-life. Christians do not seek martyrdom. Uh, there was a group up in Phrygia called the Montanists who believed that 
if you could just get everybody martyred and being killed, uh, then the Lord would come again. There's kind of an apocalyptic idea. And the early Christian bishops uh, rejected that and said, you know what, what we really need to do is to preserve life. And so Polycarp uh, flees into uh, the hinterlands and the police have to follow him and they finally capture him. And when they do get catch up with him, he says, can I pray for a while? And they mm-hmm. said, sure. And so so what he does is he has his the household lay out a huge feast for these policemen. Wow. And they're eating and they're feasting while he prays. And the, the, the martyrdom of Polycarp tells us he prayed for everybody he could think of that he had ever met and for the whole church throughout the world. And mm. the policemen were wondering, what in the world are we doing yeah. arresting this guy, you know, this old man? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was it was a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, they, they took Polycarp back into Smyrna, which is the modern day of Izmir in, um, in, uh, in Turkey, Izmir. And uh, uh, he, was, he was put on trial before the proconsul. And the proconsul said, you know, look at your age. You know, look how old you are. Just all you have to do is, is, is pour a cup of wine to the genius of the emperor and, you know, deny Christ. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. You know, why can't you do that? Yeah. And then wow. that's where this beautiful line from Polycarp comes out. Why would I deny my king, you know, who has done me no wrong, mm-hmm. you know, for 86 years. And um, he also then walks into the, uh, the circus that's there, uh, the Colosseum in, in Smyrna. And, the, the proconsul says, deny Christ, say away with the atheists. And the, the Romans understood the Christians to be atheists. Mm-hmm. They were without a God, without an idol. They also saw the Jews this way. And, but, and, and, and Polycarp walks into the, uh, into the Colosseum and, and, and waves his arm around to all of these pagans sitting there. And he says, away with the atheists. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, uh, so, you know, there, there is here, and this is something too, that I think Christians mm. in the modern world have to understand is that, uh, the, the, to be bold and courageous for the faith, uh, you're gonna get some people angry at you. You mm-hmm. know, it's not about making everybody, you know, feel good. It really isn't. And uh, the Christians in the ancient world paid for that. You know, they were mm-hmm. telling the truth. They were proclaiming truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin of Neapolis, um, very much the same way. He was martyred. And uh, we don't know his entire story, but we do know uh, because actually we're not quite sure about the, the accuracy of it. But we do know that um, because of his apologetics and defending the faith that he was arrested and beheaded, um, you know, you, you go back to, to Peter and Paul, uh, they're both, they're both, uh, you know, killed, martyred under Nero. Uh, Peter uh, hung upside down on a cross and Paul beheaded in just outside the city of Rome. Um, and both, you know, willing to die for for Christ, for the mm. faith. Uh, and of course, we, we have to ask ourselves, would we be willing to do that as well? Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, G.K. Chesterton made a connection between levity and the sense of humor and mm-hmm. a sense of being light. 
And he right. said that angels could fly. They had levity because they took themselves so lightly. Right. That's, <laughs> which that's the, which yeah. I love that. But it, just in hearing these stories, it's to me, it's like these guys, they took Christ more seriously, more heavily yeah. than themselves. Yes. And yes. they're able to do these funny yeah. things like away with the atheists. <laughs> right. And they're able to say, hey, Christ has never done me wrong all these times. Yeah. They don't, they take, they take Christ so seriously, which yeah. and themselves not so much. It seems yeah. like we take it's the opposite today. We take ourselves so seriously mm-hmm. and the reality yeah. of 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 God and of His world of that that transfigured vision. Yeah, uh, we take we take that so uh, we take yeah. that lightly. So, uh, Scripture. Uh, when you look at Scripture, um, there are very few really decent people in the Bible. Right. Yes. Uh, and I, I always tell my students the yeah, Bible yeah, is yeah. not the, the Bible is not about us. The mm. Bible is about God, you know, yeah. and about us coming to Him. Uh, he's revealed Himself to us, and He has become He's come into this world in the incarnation. But uh, this world is not where the truth lies. Uh, and 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 when a culture becomes so luxurious and wrapped in wealth and kind of narcissism like ours, mm-hmm. it does become to the point where, you know, it has to be about me and whatever the next, mm-hmm. you know, kind of loopy idea I, I, I dream up about myself. And and what what Christ is asking us to do is, is complete surrender to him. Uh, because we really are talking about eternity, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not talking about 80 years, if that's what we have on earth. Mm-hmm. We're talking about eternity. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have a student ask me sometimes, you know, well, why can, how can he judge me, you know, if I only live 80 years? You know, how can he judge me for eternity if I only have 80 years? And I'll ask them, well, how much time do you need? You know, how much time do you need to decide whether or not you're going to be obedient and, and submit yourself to him? Um, and, uh, you know, he is the God of the universe, of all time and space. And I think that early Christians and, you know, we, we talk about the modern day. We're really talking about America and Europe, I think, because outside of those boundaries, we have Christians who are paying the price every day. Mm-hmm. Um, who are either confessors being tortured for the faith or martyrs dying for the faith. Um, and so many of these early Christians, you know, some of the folks I meet from Africa or South America, they, or China, gosh, Asia, mm-hmm. uh, they understand very well what these early Christians are going through. Yeah. So those people today in those circumstances don't take their lives as seriously. They're, they're more, more akin to the ancient. Absolutely. Absolutely. Father Mike Schmidt on his daily Bible reading because I yeah. listen to that because I, I just yeah. like it. Yeah. But he was he was he brought up the idea of uh, relics, mm. and I always like as a 
evangelical. I think, oh, here we go. He's going to be talking about these bones of saints and, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's ridiculous. But the way that he explained it was not ridiculous. No, he it's said, not at all. He said that he mentioned this bone of some saint and 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 he said, by the way, the, the reasons why we um, we have this or it's a big deal to us is to remind us of, of the days in the catacombs when in the catacombs were the burial crowns where we had to where the church had to worship in secret yeah. and by these by these bones and so we've we save some of these bones now that it's legal and whatever and we're in a different place but we save these bones to remind us of where we've been and yeah. the seriousness with which our forebears took their faith and i yeah. thought that's that's yeah, yeah. that's something if, if if I might add to that, uh, yeah. you know, Paul Paul uh, would bless uh, uh, napkins or pieces of cloth and send them out, and those would heal. That's a relic right there, mm-hmm. okay, uh, because it was in the hand of an apostle. Uh, but also, we have to understand that you and I, who are both Christians and obedient to Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. And Catholics take that literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we take a lot of the Bible literally. And in that, the idea is that the Holy Spirit is in you and in me, in Lee and Calvert. We both are part of that body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Therefore, um, our flesh, our spirit, um, there's a different quality to it than what you might find with someone who is not. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the relics represent... Um, uh, exactly what uh, uh, Dr. Schmidt was talking about, but also represent the continuing presence of Christ, mm-hmm. incarnate Christ, through his children, through those who are part of the body of Christ on earth. And so, you know, we don't worship relics. Relics are not to be worshipped, but relics are to be what we call venerated, or it, it helps us to recall and to remember what that particular saint meant to the body of Christ. And every time, you know, Catholics talk about saints, we're not talking about those saints. We're talking about Christ and what he has done through them. And so, um, you know, the bones of Ignatius, we still have those. Uh, the bones of Clement of of Rome, we still have those. Peter and Paul, I've, I've been to visit both of their tombs in Rome. And again, it's not that we worship those, but we remember what Christ has done in and through those saints. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. uh, favorite heroes of of the faith from this ancient time? I, I do. I do. My favorite is a guy named Athanasius of Alexandria, okay. who lived in the fourth century, and um, I could talk about him all day long. Uh, Athanasius uh, was a great defender of the faith. Uh, in his work, actually, there's a wonderful text on the incarnation. Uh, and C.S. Lewis wrote an introduction to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote a wonderful little essay called On Reading Old Books. Yeah. And C.S. Lewis talked about how in reading old books, we come to understand both the, the positives and negatives of the past. Mm-hmm. But we also are humbled because we'll understand that in 500 years, somebody will be reading our books and wonder how in the world could they have been that way, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a humbling thing for us. But... Um, uh, uh, Penelope Lawson, uh, 
a friend of C.S. Lewis wrote a great translation of On the Incarnation by okay. Athanasius of Alexandria. And this book changed my life. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It was a book that uh, it really helps to lay out why Christ came, why God came and became incarnate in Christ, what the world needed and why, and what that all meant. It was a, a wonderful little, uh, really theological and apologetic work for his mm-hmm. time. Now, Athanasius um, became bishop of um, Alexandria, which was the university town in the Mediterranean. Uh, if you wanted to go to the best uh, school in the Mediterranean, you went to U of A, right, the <laughs> University of Alexandria. And he was, he was a bishop of Alexandria, a great defender of the faith. And what's really interesting is that when Christianity finally became legal under Constantine, Constantine, that's a, he's a mixed bag. Uh, that's another hour lecture mm-hmm. right there. But um, at the end of Constantine's reign, he had exiled Athanasius because Athanasius uh, was mm-hmm. upholding the Nicene Creed, and Constantine had uh, a lot of friends and um, support from Arians who were who were had been you know pronounced uh, heretics. Mm-hmm. And so Athanasius was sent into the first of five exiles that he had to face wow. under under both Christian emperors, but also a guy named Julian the Apostate who tried to turn things back in a pagan direction. And Athanasius, he takes on the uh, the motto against the world, contra mundum. Yeah. Uh, this this was this was given to him later on by scholars. Mm-hmm. But Athanasius stood up for the faith and. Uh, you know, I'll have friends say, well, you know, creeds don't mean anything. They mean everything. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, they are a succinct, uh, packaged statement of salvation history of all that Christians believe. And in, in a world where there is little um, literacy, mm-hmm. to memorize it is very, very helpful to guard against heresy and guard against uh, attack. Uh, and so uh, a, a very necessary thing in those days, and I think in, in today's world as well. But Athanasius is one who stood up for all of that. He finally died back at home. I think he was at home in Alexandria as bishop uh, for about four years out of uh, 15 some years that he was bishop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Athen, that that same book, when I, I became a Christian in college and I immediately started taking like all these religion, any religion course I could, I could yeah, take. It yeah, was not yeah. at a, not at a Christian school, but they still had okay. a religion department. And I took a course with a guy named Father Mike, who is a Greek Orthodox um, guy. And yeah. he had me read that. He said, I think you should read that. So my first Christian book that I read <laughs> you really? know, was in, in the nineties was wonderful on the incarnation by Athanasius. And that that's great. That it just blew me away, and yeah. um, I remember I was so um, taken up by it. It was a book from the library, and when I read books, I like process by like drawing pictures. And I actually I wasn't even aware I was doing this, but he checked the book out of the library after I had it, and he, and he approached me and he said, "I see you read this." I'm like, "Oh, how do you know?" And he's like, "You need to erase all these drawings <laughs> in the margin." He said that one great. point you have this picture of a face that you erased, and I'm like, "Yeah, because that's what Athanasius was talking about—the image of yeah. and all that." But 
one one famous thing that Athanasius said was that uh, uh, God became man so that men might become God. Yeah, might yeah. become divine. Yeah, uh, huge idea. Um, they call it uh, glorification or yeah. deification or crucifixion. I haven't heard yeah. crucifixion. I've heard theosis, deification, yeah. Yeah, glorification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about that doctrine while we're yeah? So what what uh, we Christians uh, as, as, you know believe, and and Protestants do too. It's, yeah. it's called sanctification, right? You're justified, and then you're sanctified. Uh, the idea that um, as you are saved and become uh, more like Christ, it's not just a a spiritual or uh, symbolic idea. But you are literally, the entirety of your person uh, is becoming more like Christ. And uh, when you, you see saints and people around you who, you know, are clearly just full of Christ, you know, people who have really dedicated and surrendered themselves to Christ, this is what we're talking about. Now, uh, you know, nobody, I think, thinks that uh, that happens before before you die and enter into the beatific vision. But you have these saints who are just remarkably full of wisdom and understanding and are willing to to suffer and to deny themselves, mm-hmm. um, you know, all as Christ did for us. Uh, all of those, and, and there too is the model of sainthood is what has Christ done for us? And therefore, what we do is, uh, you know, pray and ask the Lord to make us more like him. And we do that through our struggles and our suffering and our prayer and our work and all the things uh, that bring us closer to him. So that is that is the whole idea. That's what Athanasius is talking about, uh, this idea that we become more Christ-like. Yeah. yeah. Who are some of the, um, I, mean, I know you mentioned a couple, but some of the key early Christian apologists, so defenders yeah. of yeah. the faith, maybe yeah. mention one or two and then what? the arguments were that yeah. that really helped defend Christianity. Yeah, so I, I already mentioned Justin, and he goes, he, he takes a march through much of philosophy uh, and also addresses Judaism. Um, a, man, a guy named Melito of Sardis, uh, hmm. a very interesting guy, and, and we just have a, a, a brief section left of his apologetics. And it's really interesting. He he says this, um, we Christians, uh, our, our, this movement, was founded in the Roman Empire at the time of Caesar Augustus. And therefore, you know, you Romans should understand that the empire was established for a very, very particular reason. It was established for us, wow. right? And so, you know, we, we travel together. We, we come along together. And what he's trying to help the Romans do is you don't need to persecute us. You don't need to, to kill us because really— uh, we were born at the same time that under Caesar Augustus, this, this empire was established. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we're a good thing. Mm-hmm. And clearly the God of the universe who we worship, the true God of the universe, wanted this to happen, right? And so let's, let's, let's get along. Let's travel together. And he mentioned a couple of emperors who were, who were numbskulls like Nero and Domitian, but, uh, you know, otherwise, he says, you know, your emperors have been good for Christianity. And, and really what he's, he's kind of, uh, what, blinding himself uh, on purpose uh, to all of the persecution that's going on and trying to emphasize the good. 
and really get across to the to, to the Romans and to whoever will hear that uh, this is a this is a good relationship, and that God in His providence uh, has made this happen. And this is something that Christians will consistently look back to. Eusebius of Caesarea, a great historian. This is one thing he's trying to show is that in the midst of all the persecution and bad things that happened, Christianity was became part of Roman imperial history. Uh, mm. And that's ex- actually how I teach uh, the Roman Empire. I mm-hmm. teach it alongside Christianity. Uh, and, and I think Melito of Sardis has really got a, a great point there um, mm. and uh, uh, you know, lays that out for them. Yeah. Do you think there's... It, like the word became flesh, John one fourteen. Yep. You know the mm-hmm. the incarnation. Do you yeah. think? And I know that happens individually, right? As we were talking about, but the way you just described that, it's as if Christianity. Let's say that's the logos, the word. It becomes enmeshed or enfleshed within a culture too, and it kind of maybe needs that or works it works its way out in that. Yeah, it, it seems like there could be something something to that. Yeah, and and a number of theologians have have played with that idea, and and you find that idea comes up every once in a while among uh, the ancient Christians, the idea that um, uh, the the church is the soul uh, mm. of the Roman Empire, and That's Melito right. actually kind of suggests that, um, and uh, you find this this elsewhere that Melito um, really is is saying here that. Uh, well, all of human history uh, is not distinct from God's plan. You know, it's not distinct from God's mm-hmm. providence. In fact, it's all intertwined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we can say that about the United States and our culture as well today. Mm-hmm. However strange and crazy it seems, really in the midst of it, um, you know, Christians are, and the church is the soul of, of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one has to push away all the other insanity in order to really realize mm-hmm. that and, and capture that and see that. Yeah. yeah. I've actually been thinking about this idea sort of like that lately. Uh, we know that like, for instance, the Jewish temple was supposed to be a microcosm of the universe of the yeah. world. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. the human body too, is then a microcosm of the temple, which is the microcosm of, of the world. And right. Uh, and so forth, but it it strikes me too. Can, could that be said of all of history too? Like you were yeah. saying, it, can all of history, world history, be thought of like like as a a mini worship service? Yeah, or you know, yeah. of of God's greater work in the world. And it's like when I think about life like that, it's like, wow, what part of the service are we in now? Right. What, yeah. what part am I playing? And, yeah. and yeah. you know, this big, talk about an enchanted world. It's like, yeah. it's not just that it's, you know, enchanted by dancing fairies everywhere, uh-huh. kind of arbitrarily, no, right, but, it's, right, but right. It's, 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 it's seriously enchanted in the sense of we're, we're in a worldwide worship service that God yeah. is conducting yeah. with the help, yeah. help of unseen spiritual forces with yeah. us incarnate uh yeah. human beings and that right. i don't know that yeah and Sam, you know, yeah it's it's wonderful and when when i'm in our church able to come to the mass and to the meal it's not happening only at that moment you know like this morning you know at eight o'clock we're sitting down with jesus you know back in the first century at at the last uh-huh. summer right 
And so, uh, you know, when when he says to Anamnesis to remember, you know, to as a memorial, mm-hmm. uh, it, it it's like the Jews and the Passover. The Passover is always thinking as if you're back in Egypt at that moment. That's right. And then every Passover is still part of that. It's not distinct and separate through time. And same with the the celebration of the Mass. It's not uh, some sort of sacrifice over and over again. It is the same one all the way through. So it's supposed to link you back to that. Yeah, yeah. It's like even the word remember. You remember. You put the members back together and into right. one one thing, right? In, in our mind, in time and space, we're thinking, oh, that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Right? Remembering that. Yeah. Uh, within, within and, and the Greek that's used there really is not that kind of remembering. The Greek that's used there is a kind of remembering that puts us back at that moment mm-hmm. that continues on through. And so, again, in our human experience, mm-hmm. and this is something that Melito and Justin and the others are really getting after, is this idea of um, uh, time, space, history, all being part of God's story. At, at Easter, we always call the fall, Adam and Eve, the mm-hmm. fall, we call it a happy fall. That's right. A happy, wow. you know, because it's a tragedy at that moment, yeah. but the whole story is a comedy. In other words, not ha-ha comedy, but yeah. a comedy in that it ends well. It yeah. ends with 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 salvation, right? Yeah. And so, you know, mm. the fall happens right after creation, and and this is something, of course, that Athanasius of Alexandria begins to get at as well. That this is all part of salvation history. Mm-hmm. It's a plan yeah. that God has already unfolded. You know, uh, George Herbert's poem uh, "Easter Wings," yes. when he says, "Then I shall imp," which means like graft imp my wing, my little wing on thine and the fall shall further the flight in me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> what that an great? idea. What yeah. is that, that happy fall? Like, yeah, because yeah. of this, I can go further into Christification, for instance. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. I, I, I am drawn in as a child of Christ into him, into his, his very body yeah. and become, become part of that. And, and it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. I yeah. even think like the book of Revelation too being read right. in this sense as yeah. in it's a, a future, if I could say that word, but like the cosmic worship service, yeah. all of the book of Revelation yeah. couldn't be read like, okay, yeah. now I'm uh, bringing you up, John, to see what I've yeah. been seeing all along that this right. whole world history, this whole, this whole thing he, he, this this is a worship service, it, and yeah, you can actually plot, plot out in the Book of Revelation how it's a worship service. Yeah, and the word. altar is there, and there is a procession, you know, and and uh, it yep. says that the martyrs cry out from beneath the altar. That's why Catholics keep little pieces of martyrs under their altars. Mm. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. all related to to the Revelation yeah. of Saint John, and you know, I also I also point out to students, you know, read the list of who's not going to be there. And take that very, very seriously. Mm. Uh, you know the the whole idea, of course, in early church as well. And there's a, a an anti Christian writer, Celsus of Alexandria, mm. who really has a hard time with the exclusivity of Christianity and this idea 
that there are going to be some who are saved and others that aren't. Mm-hmm. This is this is a big problem for the early Christians as well. You know, how can you not worship all the gods, and how can you say that it's only your God that will save us? You know, what kind of insanity is that? Because that's clearly clearly there, there are all these gods, and anybody can be saved by whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's very much like the modern world uh, in which we have this kind of uh, uh, notion that, well, as long as I'm a good person, I'll be saved. Um, the early Christians did not believe that. Um, I, I looked to uh, also a theologian named Irenaeus. Uh, yeah. Irenaeus was a student of Polycarp's. Hmm. Polycarp was a student of John, yeah. uh, the gospel writer. So you have this, you know, yeah. this, lie, this line of the faith passed yeah. on. And Irenaeus um, is not so much an apologist as he is correcting heresy, and particularly Gnosticism. And the Gnostics believe that Jesus did not become man. He did not become flesh because God could not do that. That's what the the Gnostics believe. In fact, the incarnation is the hardest, is, is is, is the doctrine that causes the most heresy. People just can't wrap their mind around that. Even today. Even today, absolutely. Yeah, okay. And so um, in that time, the Gnostics um, believe that Jesus only came as a spiritual person, uh, and he gave secret knowledge. He was not crucified. Actually, uh, Simon of Cyrene was crucified on the cross, and Jesus kind of projected his face onto the cross to trick um, the the evil God who had made the material world. <laughs> He, you know, Jesus, the Jesus of Gnosticism is not the Jesus of Christianity uh, and of Orthodox Christianity. And um, what, what we have to understand in that is that the Gnostics used Luke and Paul. They used scripture to try and defend their doctrines. Uh, the Gnostics said that they loved Jesus. <laughs> the Gnostics uh, yeah. believed that... Um, you know, the, that Jesus had come to, quote-unquote, save uh, humanity, and that is to, to, to let the spiritual substance out and reject the material world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Irenaeus is writing to really not only contradict the Gnostics, but also teach the Christians, okay, this is what we really believe. And it's by Irenaeus, by the time of Irenaeus, that we definitely have the four Gospels. They've had to reject, like the Gospel of Thomas and some other Gnostic Gospels that had popped up. And Irenaeus is saying, pay only attention to these four when Mm -hmm. we're talking about Jesus. And the development of canon begins to take place. Yeah. And Irenaeus wrote against Celsus, right? Was that? Uh, No, that was Origen. Origen wrote against Celsus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Could we we talk more about? Gnosticism and how yeah. we see it worked out today, because I think that will surprise a lot of people that yeah. Christianity is actually so actually gung ho for the material created world yeah. that God yeah. made. Like yeah. we actually think it's a good thing, yeah. but it's when you get into this Gnostic um, vein that 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 the material world is not embraced as much. And and how is how does that work out today that we see it? So Gnosticism is a balance between uh, really understanding uh, that that we are both spiritual and physical, that God has created both, <laughs> and that both are involved in salvation history and, and his, his salvation of the world. Um, 
So when we talk about uh, a dualism where, you know, the, the spiritual is good and the material is bad, you know, you see that in a lot of the Eastern religions, mm-hmm. Buddhism, Hinduism, and a variety of, of, um, of kind of modern uh, New Age kind of things. Um, on the other hand, then, you have uh, maybe what we call Ebionite. And that is this idea of whether it's all material and it's all all that, mm-hmm. and we don't have to pay attention to the spiritual. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there's also this thing where um, within Christianity, the, the trouble of understanding how they fit together. Um, the Gnostics, one way you could tell uh, someone was a Gnostic is, is if they did not believe in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Mm. That the Eucharist is only a symbol, and not as it is not also a spiritual reality, mm-hmm. right? And so, what you have in, uh, for instance, in Justin, who who describes uh, the Eucharist as being the real body and blood of Jesus, that is something that in that ancient world they could not accept. Um, and and again, the, the Christians were not being cannibals because the body was alive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what Jesus describes in John chapter 6 and what Paul describes in Corinthians. This, this idea, um, and, and within a lot of, of, of Christianity, this idea that, well, uh, a spiritual reality is only symbolic or not literal or that mm-hmm. kind of thing, that's a form of Gnosticism mm-hmm. um, that, that is within a lot of Christianity, I would argue. Now, there's another aspect of this um, where uh, uh, the Gnostics believe that Satan in the garden was actually a good guy. He mm-hmm. was trying to convince Adam and Eve that the God who created the world was evil and that the God who created the world was trying to trick them and didn't want them to be like him. All right. And so the, the Gnostics believed that Satan was actually trying to tell them the truth. Hmm. And this idea that Satan and Jesus are on the same side, um, this is also present in a number of, <laughs> of modern groups mm-hmm. that call themselves Christians. Um, you know, I'll just say that the Latter-day Saints have an idea uh, along those lines, mm-hmm. and that is, uh, is decidedly Gnostic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What happens when um, we don't uh, embrace – well, what happens when we – fall towards Gnosticism and thinking that material things are bad, our bodies are bad. Yeah. What happens then that can go wrong just in the average Christian's life and perspective? And um, yeah, how can we correct that? I, I guess yeah. I, I read a book, a new book yesterday by uh, Pastor Dr. Gavin Ortland on uh-huh. humility. Yeah. And he makes a deal, a big deal about like celebrate, celebrating the fact that you have a body and that and that God became physical, like Jesus was yeah. physical, yeah. like yeah. he. Um, so that shows some kind of a blessing or embracing of that. Right. And so we shouldn't. And and part of glorifying God is learning how to, I guess, live in our bodies the right way. But right. maybe he didn't say that. But what are some of the the dangers of of not? Um, well, yeah. so actually, the Gnostics teach us some good lessons on this as well. Uh, they had they had two responses to their Gnostic theology. One was to be very ascetic and treat the body as if it's evil. The other is the other end. It doesn't matter because the body doesn't affect the spirit, and so let the body be as sensual as it wants. 
whatever it was. Right. And so you have these two, two extremes, right. And, and you find this in, in Orthodox. Yeah. And you find this in Christianity, you know, Orthodox Christianity as well, that you'll, you'll find people who are really like, you know, I'm going to, hurt my body you know, yeah, within, yeah. Catholic, within Catholicism. Sometimes you see these people, yeah, yeah. which the church doesn't approve of, uh, you know, whipping themselves. That's, that's really not what we're looking for. And then the other side is, well, you know, it's, it's just my body, you know, I can do what I want. And Paul makes some suggestions of this in his writings. It's the, 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 the bottom line here is that Christians uh, need to understand that the spiritual is good. The spiritual mm-hmm. is good. The physical is good. It's all created. And therefore, we need to treat it as a gift from God. And, you know, in, in treating our bodies, uh, you know, being healthful, you know, all of the things, you know, um, not being overly obsessed with them, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, of having that balance uh, is definitely true. You know, Jesus is, is someone who suffered in his body. He felt the pain. Mm-hmm. And for us, when when we feel pain or when we experience that, we shouldn't think, well, you know, this is all entirely evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Satan wants us to think our bodies are evil, even when they're in mm-hmm. pain. And what we have to remember is that our, our dear Lord, you know, suffered. And that was all for the good, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, there's, there's also the suffering aspect that comes into it. And we're a society that thinks, you know, if you're suffering, then... You've done something wrong, you know, or or you know, yeah. there's there's some kind of um, some kind of thing going on there that that is is negative, and and what you often find with these saints is if I'm suffering, you know, I can be suffering alongside Christ, and His suffering was good, right? Yeah. So, so there's both the suffering and then the the sensuality and finding a balance and all of that. Those are those, that's so important because yeah, I think we tend to fall fall into either of those traps. Like yeah. when we want to reinvigorate our faith, we think yeah, beat down the flesh more, the body right. more. When in right. actuality, maybe you have a soul conditioner, you're worshiping the wrong thing, and the body's yeah. just following, you know, right, in, right. in tow. Um, right. Or we, yeah, I, I recognize and, and both so, of those. Sometimes the early Christians, uh, this is this is kind of the downside. You have this in Clement of Alexandria, where they're really downplaying the idea of marriage and of sexuality. Now, you know, Jesus says, uh, you know, in relation to divorce, there are some people who are going to be not, who are going to be serving only the kingdom of God. They're not going to be married. They're going to be virgins mm-hmm. their whole life. In, in Revelation, it says um, part of the procession in, in Revelation will be uh, a procession of, of virgin men, um, you know, that there are those who are going to set themselves aside or God is going to set them aside for his service. But there's also the idea in Scripture, and also it begins to come out in the early church, and uh, Clement of Alexandria as well, this idea that marriage is a good thing. And... Uh, you know, people ask the question, well, why are Christians, uh, you know, so obsessed about sexuality? And what I, I try to explain to my students is, look, the Lord gave us spirit. He gave us the power of reason. He, gave, he also gave us the power or the ability to procreate. Mm. And, and this is so important. This is why abusing sexuality and procreation Mm. is such a bad thing because Mm -hmm. this is actually a reflection of God's image in us 
that we're able to create, quote unquote, more people, right? Human beings. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and so, you know, to remember that that very thing, mm-hmm. sexuality is actually in its best form, is a gift of God and is an expression in humanity of his, his, his creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is why it's just so important to get a right head around that, to, to both enjoy it because it's supposed to be enjoyed, but also to understand that um, it can't be mistreated and can't be disorderly, right? Life, yeah. like every person was created by a sex act. Like yeah, it's, yeah. It's, just, yeah. It, it's, it's amazing that an, yeah. an, an eternal life right. happens, not eternal, immortal, I guess, from now yeah. on, yeah. came from that. And, right. and no wonder that the enemy, Satan and evil, want to oh. attack this yeah. area in our lives so much. And yeah. I've definitely fell under that attack too. Yeah. Yeah. But Every man has, yeah. you know, and, and that's part of the modern world as well. Um, this, this, that technology has brought into our lives, you know, um, this, this withering, this attack on, upon, upon that part of our lives that mm-hmm. God has given us. That's so important. And if yeah. I could get controversial, <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, even, it, I mean, it plays into our view of, uh, I, I guess, men's and women's roles. Like, we uh, tend to think that that the the higher status roles have to do with being a CEO or having <laughs> whatever kind of career and equal opportunity, you know, all all that. Right. But I'm like, okay, let's just think about this objectively for a second. I can become a CEO of a company or the president or have all this, you know, the typical male status symbols. But if you're a woman, you can create an eternal soul right? that yeah. will last yeah. forever. Like long after my my yeah. my business has toppled, long after the Roman Empire is gone, the soul that you created from your womb yeah. Is still there for eternity, and like, yeah. what is the greater act? It's yeah. just, but we've bought into all these lies, guys too, and thinking that right. Right. like, like accomplishments or position are better than being a father, for instance. Right, like, right. It goes both ways. It's just, and and you know, the idea that somehow um, men went off to work uh, because that's really what their meaning in life was mm-hmm. was a lie. They went off to work to pay for and protect and provide for that family that that was at home, right? Yes. That's that's why they dug in the mines. That's why they were driving trains. They were doing all of this stuff. And it is, again, it's a lie that somehow going off to work and all the pressure and all that that, that's there is somehow better um, than than the the most important work, which is at home. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's awesome. Yeah. Any anything else that that we need you feel that maybe students respond the most to about yeah. the, about ancient Christianity practices or beliefs that yeah. you would like us to recover today. Well, you know, I, even just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I think that actually I'll I'll, I'll focus on scripture. Um, when I when I start my classes, I'll tell the Protestants, you know, Jesus didn't leave a Bible. Um, that had to develop. All mm-hmm. right. And so, you know, you Protestants are going to be a little bit 
you know, discouraged by that. I'll, I'll tell the Catholics, you know, the papacy was established in Peter, but it doesn't become what we know it to be today until much later. And so if you're a Catholic and you want, you know, a strong papacy from the beginning, that's not there either. Mm -hmm. But focusing on Scripture, um, what was really remarkable is how the Holy Spirit guided the bishops, guided the leadership through a series of councils and synods and meetings to really give us the Bible that we have. And, you know, it's, it's uh, the church that I belong to, you know, the Catholic Church understands it as being inerrant and perfect. Mm -hmm. And I, I want students to understand that that is trustworthy and that they should, they should use it, you know, of, of whatever denomination they are. Um, and, and, and use it with good guidance and good input from reliable sources, mm -hmm. reliable guides and teachers. But, um, you know, that is really the foundation of where our, our theology, our doctrine, God uses reason, helps us through reason and the Holy Spirit to do that. And finally, um, I remind them that if they look around themselves and see that the leadership of the Protestants or Catholics, you know, all of these leaders are, you know, off base and sinners mm -hmm. and hypo hypocrites, you know, and, you mm -hmm. know, we can talk about, you know, all kinds of Catholics are, you know, all kinds of Protestants. You know, I was, I was, you know, Ravi Zacharias was a huge, uh, you know, disappointment mm -hmm. to me too, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. Um, we have to remember that everyone who wrote a book of the Bible was the same way. Mm. And Paul is clear about that. You know, he says, I'm a sinner, right? Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit that works through through those writers to give us that word. Mm. Similarly, in the church, even though our leaders are human beings, our pastors are human beings, somehow the Holy Spirit is working through those those uh, those pastors, uh, those ministers, those priests mm. uh, in in the unfolding history of the church. And again, this gets us back to that earlier theme that whatever insanity we see going on around us, whether mm -hmm. it's the culture or the church itself, you know, the Lord, what it, for whatever reason and however he sees fit, you know, he is unfolding salvation history uh, according to his plan. And wow. thanks be to God. Yeah. That, that's, that's humbling right there, right? <laughs> Such a word of hope. And yeah. I, yeah. like I think of a battery, you know, has the positive and the negative terminals. You right. <laughs> And somehow God has chosen to embrace and use all these, you know, quote unquote, negative terminals right, and people right. and institutions. Right. And that's yeah. where the real energy uh, of right. the church is. As, as a historian, I can tell you, we've been in a lot worse fixes than this, right? Wow. Yeah, I could yeah, give you a whole history of that. Yeah. Uh, but it is bad. And there are some really new kind of really strange things. But in the end, you know, the Lord has had his hand and he has been present through all of it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to encourage people to check out, I just go to the Hillsdale College website and you can find, actually, if you Google Dr. Ken Calvert's name, that that ancient Christianity free uh, series comes up and you can um, check it out, learn more, be encouraged more in your faith. I, I, like, I guarantee it, the more you'll get inspired learning these stories, learning history, learning what Christians and the church went through, and you, your own faith will be inspired and strengthened, you, or your your worldview will be enriched. So I really just want to commend that uh, to people. And I want to thank you for being on Bumper Sticker Faith today. Well, thank you, Sam. This has been wonderful. Yep. Good. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone, for episode 98. 
You can go to bumperstickerfaith.com to learn more, and uh, we'll see you next time. 